podcast world, welcome to the Canal Valley Church Sermon Podcast. We like to think of it as deep biblical teaching that's actually made fun. If you like it, you can listen to more series at www.canalvalleychurch.org. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. My name's Rory, and I have the opportunity to preach the sermon this morning. Come on, Rory! And I'm fired up and excited about it. Rich Bartoli, who is uh, the minister here, is out of town on vacation with his family. He called me this morning, and he said um, it was 72 degrees. He was out in the golf course. <laughs> and he said, thanks for, thanks for handling the, the preaching of the Word. One of the things I really love about our congregation is that uh, we get a lot of different people up here to speak. That's why you can get anybody up here preaching. And, uh, uh, but we're going to continue in the book of Colossians this morning. That's what we've been studying out the past few weeks. And we're going to continue there. And the title of this lesson this morning is Transcend. <coughs> um, transcend is a cool word. It means to rise above or to go beyond the limits of. And for me, it calls to mind a, a couple different things. I think of athletes or somebody doing a physical task. And I think of exert, after they exert all their energy, exhaust their stamina, the situation, the game, the match might require more. And they have to keep going. They have to rise above. They have to transcend their physiology and keep going. I think about people who uh, do courageous acts. Maybe their culture or society has a certain norm, but they don't think that it's right. And so they, they go beyond the limits of the norm in order to stand up and do something right. I think about like uh, high school students where there's bullying. It can get pretty rough. But if somebody can transcend the norms of what's cool and stand up and do what's right, that's inspiring. Amen. That's kind of what we want to talk about this morning. And a couple examples from my own life that I wanted to share in a spiritual sense of transcendence uh, makes me think about when I was in high school. I went to an all-guys Catholic high school, and uh, one particular day, we had like this meditative exercise. We were in the chapel, and so all the guys were all laying on our backs with our eyes closed, and Father Sanford, who was a priest and a teacher there, was like kind of doing this. He was like telling us a story about Jesus. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that right at like the kind of a major point of the story, he said something about like, Jesus came forth, something like that, and if you can picture this chapel, it's like we're all on our backs laying down. There's all these, there's like a handful of windows here. And it was an overcast day. But like right when he said Jesus came forth, the, the sun shone through. Like the, the sun came in. And even though my eyes were closed, I could just kind of sense this like illumination and like warmth of the sun. And I don't know what the other guys thought. But for a moment, I was kind of like, whoa, like. What just, what just happened? Like, did, yeah. did God do something? I mean, I was like, yeah. I think I was 13 and a half, might have been 14. I'm kind of like, did, did God do something there? Or was that coincidental that the sun shone right at like the, the most climactic moment of the story? I don't know for sure, but I know I was impacted for several days. And then unfortunately, it kind of faded away. But for a while, I was thinking about God. But a little bit later in my life, when I, several years later when I was in college, I feel like I had another kind of transcending type of moment when I was invited to um, a devotional by the beach. And it was, with a few, it was with some people I didn't know very well, but I went there and we're like throwing Frisbee and I'm getting to know people. And then we have this 
little devotionals, like a couple scriptures and a discussion. And I remember going home that night, just feeling something significant. And I kind of just had like, I think I was 19, and I kind of just was thinking like, what if, you know, what if this stuff's true? What if my purpose is to get reconciled to God? What if my purpose is to follow God and help other people know God? It was like the first time as an adult, I was like like grappling with like, whoa. And if that's true, then kind of all my values, my motivations, the trajectory of my life kind of like, like I got to kind of rethink all that stuff. I'm kind of going, you know, I'm kind of going some other direction. But if this stuff's true, then everything's on the table to be rethought. I feel like I had a moment of transcendence where suddenly I was thinking about from a godly perspective, from a new vantage point. And this time it persisted for days, weeks, and even months as I continued to study the Bible. It was very exciting. Maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe you've had times in your life, experiences that caused you to suddenly transcend instead of just thinking of the normal daily tasks, you were thinking of like God and spiritual things. Maybe you can't relate or maybe it's just you've just had that for a moment. Maybe you just started or maybe you've had moments like that in the past and it's faded. But whatever the case, we're going to look at Colossians chapter three and God's word speaks to this very thing of transcendence. If you want to read along with me here, in Colossians 3, verse 1. Come on, brother. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's stop right there. You know, just to kind of a little bit of background, because we've studied a couple chapters in Colossians, and this kind of hinges on there. It says, since then, kind of since then, what we've just talked about. And what we just talked about the past few weeks is, is more like theological stuff. It was about what God has done. It was about the supremacy of Christ, and it was about God pulled us, pull us out of the dominion of darkness Jesus atoned for our sins. He set up a process for us to be reconciled. It talks about dying with him in baptism. It talks about being raised through our faith. And then it says, since then, let's, let's get our thoughts, let's transcend and get our thoughts on things above. Um, I want to just talk about, because it says, set your heart and your mind on things above. And if you look at your blue letter Bible online, you can find the Greek and Hebrew of any word in the Bible. And the word used for heart here is zeteo, and it doesn't really mean heart. It it really means seek, and it's the same word that's used in the scriptures when it says seek and you shall find. But the idea behind it is kind of like, what are you going after? What are you craving? What desires motivate your decisions? And God's saying, let it be things above that you're craving. You know, it kind of sums it up and says heart, you know, set your heart up there. If you guys are like me, the heart is like, my heart can be kind of fickle sometimes. Like I might get fired up about something one day and then the next day I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really care about that anymore. Sometimes our heart can just, can go in various directions pretty quickly. We can get excited about stuff. Sometimes we can romanticize the past and our heart can get stuck there. We can think of old friendships or an old way of 
situation in life or an old relationship and our heart can go there and get caught up there. I think of Uncle Rico, who was caught up on high school football. And that's, he was like 40, but all he could think about was like, if they would have put me in, you know? His mind was stuck there a lot. And that's funny, but a lot of people can get stuck in the glory days or in the past and our hearts can just sit somewhere else. Sometimes our hearts can get caught up in stuff for years that's no good. It's damaging to ourselves, but our hearts linger in these situations. Sometimes we can look at Facebook and our heart can get stuck in all kinds of stuff. Heart can be fickle, but God says set your heart on things above. Set your cravings on something above. It also talks about the mind. And this word pretty much means what we think it means. It's like understanding, wise, to feel or think. It says to put your thoughts on things above. I want to take just a second here. We'll just have a, a moment of kind of meditation and think about, if you think over the past few months or maybe even the year, what are the themes of thought in your life? What, what are the themes that kind of dominate your thoughts? Let's just take a moment and think about it. Don't judge them. Don't try to change them. Just what has it been? What are the, the reoccurring thoughts that go through your mind? Let's just take a second and think that through. You know, there's a, a pithy saying that you guys might have heard. It says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. But it all started with a single thought. And I think there's some truth to that. And what we think about impacts what we do and kind of who we become, yeah. who we are. I think God knows it. I think that's why he encourages us to like, Get your minds set on things above. In light of what God has done, let's set our minds on things above. In order to kind of help get our minds on things above, I wanted to look at a couple scriptures here on, that are pretty amazing. First point was the heights. A new vantage point. Sorry, I'm not used to... using this. So it says at the end of that passage, it says, when Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. And it's kind of an incredible thought. What does that mean? And there's a couple of scriptures in the Bible that I think help us to understand what that means. <clears throat> I don't know what Rich is always facing when he's trying to get this thing to work. So here in Isaiah 65, it says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And the context here is God's people and their sin and rebellion. And he says there's going to be a day where all, this stuff's not even going to be remembered anymore. These sins and rebellion, gone. Isaiah 25 says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth the Lord has spoken. 
He's just supposed to like go like fast. We're supposed to read through them quickly. <laughs> it says, in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I think it's so cool. If you could try to think about what it's going to be like. It says, the disgrace of humanity is going to be wiped away. The things that were done here are not even going to come to mind anymore. If you think about, I think this is trying to talk about that sin is no more. Sin is gone. And not just that it's going to be a place where it's like there's a bunch of temptations, but we don't sin. But we're actually not going to have those desires anymore. Sometimes I think about that when I'm struggling with something or my mind's fixated on something I know is wrong. I'm like, you know what? There's going to be a time where I'm not even going to care about that thing. I'm just not going to want it. This, this is kind of the place that we're looking for. There's going to be no backstabbing. Right? There's going to be no selfish motivation and ambition. There's going to be no tearing other people down. There's going to be no I'm consumed my own image. All that stuff is going to be gone. Amen. If you can imagine a place like that. I really know what rich feels like. A couple more scriptures here. In Revelation 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Kind of a similar sentiment. The old order's passed away. There's something new to look forward to. It says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And I didn't really do like an in-depth study on this verse, but it's to me it's reminiscent of Genesis when the first man and woman are cursed because of their sin. It says there'll be no more curse. And if you look back to that, it says that a, a woman's desire will be for her husband and she'll be ruled over by him. That was her curse. It says there's going to be no more curse. You think of the, the enmity that can be between men and women in, in, over history. It's gonna, that's not going to exist anymore. There's going to be unity. It says, it says, God says to man, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow, you will work it and you will eat from it. <laughs> Think of like the, the anxiety and the stress that can come from, from work. Yeah. It's not going to exist anymore. Wow. So, thank you guys. There's a, that's about most of the slides. So we're through that, that, difficult, <laughs> that difficult portion. I wanted to use an illustration to kind of get our minds to th- just think about this idea of transcendence and the future glory that it says we participate in. This is the life cycle of a monarch butterfly. And if you see here, monarch butterflies can fly up to 3,000 miles. In fact, a lot of them do as they migrate for the winter. 3,000 miles. And they can, they'll fly 5 to 30 miles per hour. Their wings flap from 300 to 720 times per minute. And they're actually named after a king due to their beautiful wings. It's just this incredible creature that and sometimes you can, if you've seen them, sometimes they'll gather together on a tree and there's just like millions of them and it's a gorgeous sight. We think about what if, what if the caterpillar got so fixated on his situation and so distracted. In fact, let, let me just back up real quick. The caterpillar's role, it lives about two weeks and all it does is eat. It just eats and eats and eats. And the facts, I forget the exact fact, but it's something like it eats like 10 times its weight every day. It's like ridiculous. Or it's something like it grows 10,000 times its weight. I don't know. It's something. And in fact, it eats so much that its mass 
outgrows its skin. So it has to shed its skin. And it keeps eating, gets a new coat of skin. It has to shed that because its mass just keeps growing beyond its skin. And it's for about two weeks it does it. And it has to do that so that when it becomes a, a pupa, that it has all the nutrients it needs to form into a butterfly. But what if the caterpillar just got distracted in those two weeks? And what, and what, if, what if the pupa just got so enamored by being a pupa that he, he missed becoming a butterfly? It would be a shame, right? He'd be like, oh no, if you, if you knew the glory that was ahead of you when you become a butterfly, how beautiful you're gonna be, the things you're gonna be able to experience as you fly 3,000 miles. I think about our, our, own, our own selves and God's saying, get your mind set on things above. We're only here for a short time. There's a greater glory that we will participate in in the future. And we don't want to miss it or be so distracted that we, that we forget about it. Let's move on to the next, uh, next part of the passage here. And this point is the depths. If you want to read along with me here, in Colossians 3, 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. We can stop right there. You know, this idea, this, this word death, um, it's nekru, which literally means to kill or put to death or to slay. Some versions say it's mortify, you know, Mortify the flesh. I mean, that's what it's literally saying is just put all this stuff to death. And I want to just stop right there and remind us of, I think there was a point that Rich made last week because if, if you're like me, when I read this passage, I can start to feel like, well, that's kind of a, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I kind of struggle with some of that stuff. Maybe even earlier this week, had some challenges in these areas. You know, it's like, and that's a high call. And Rich talked about last week, how we act from a position of grace. We don't act in order to achieve a position of grace. So it's based on what God has done that we put things to death. We don't put things to death to win God's approval. We put things to death because of what God's done for us. So I think it's really important. Otherwise, we just feel guilty all the time and burdened. Like, oh, no, I sinned, you know. But it's more of like, no, I'm fired about what God did, and I want to try to put this stuff to death. Um, and I want to use this as an illustration about putting things to death here. There was a spider that, uh, I don't think, can you see that spider there? Yeah. So that's the front door of my house. <laughs> and that's like the step that's like level with the, the carpet. And uh, we came home one day, my wife Rashawn and I came home and that spider was there and she's like, can you kill this spider? And I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I'm pretty terrified of spiders. And I'm like, oh gosh. Amen. And I, I looked up this spider later, or I looked up spiders in West Virginia later, and I, there were like 25 species or whatever, and I didn't find this one. So this may be a brand new, likely, likely deadly poisonous spider. But I decided, like, I'm going to kill that thing. I'm, I'm going to kill it. And I took, first took a few pictures of it, but then 
I thought about just stomping it, but I was like, I don't want, you know, it's kind of like that step's not that big, so I'm like, if I try to stomp it, like, like what if it jumps up on my leg, or <laughs> I don't want to take that risk, or I don't want to just maim it, and then it somehow gets in and it avenges itself on me <laughs> later. I don't want to like split open an egg sac and 40,000 baby spiders just spew into my house, right? I want it dead. And I don't want to just brush it away and corral it and tolerate its existence somewhere else. I want it killed. So I got a book actually, a heavy book out of our trunk. And even that I was like super particular because I didn't want it to like land like this and not hit it. It had to slam down. Anyways, I, I did it. I got a book. I threw it down. I stomped on it. And then I checked and it was, it was dead. I'm like, yes. I even like wiped it away kind of away from the house because I thought maybe like its smell would attract more spiders. I don't know. I was freaking out about the whole thing. But, <laughs> but I killed the spider. And the idea is when you see something like that, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's poisonous. I don't know what it is. We want it dead. The scriptures say to mortify, mortify kill, slay the sin that's, that's the conviction to have. And it's, I think we come from a vantage point oftentimes of where like we feel bad about stuff. It's like, oh, no. But I think God's like, he wants to raise, he wants to raise our sights to, to, to kill it. Because I think if he said, just try really hard, we'd, we'd settle for less. We'd tolerate stuff. He's like, I don't want you to tolerate all these things that are harmful to you, that are going to hurt you. Right. It's easier said than done. And so I just want to share a few practicals with you guys. Because... When I read this passage, I can get fired up, but then I can easily get kind of like discouraged, like, well, it's hard to cut out all this stuff that it says, anger and everything else it listed. Here's a few practicals. I'm going to go real quickly through them that, are, that I believe are scriptural that help us to slay sin. And this first one is to beg God for deliverance. You know, we see in the Old Testament over and over again where God's people rebel and worship something else, and then God lets outside armies invade them and enslave them until they cry out and beg for help. And then he raises someone up and he frees them. And it happens over and over. In Romans 1, it talks about this in a spiritual sense, how we rebelled against God, and he, he, he gives us over, but not to some army. He gives us over to sin. We get enslaved in it. First practical is to beg God for deliverance. If you want to change something in your life or you have difficulty, start by praying and asking over and over, God, help me. The second one is to seek help from other people. And this scripture here talks about daily encouragement so that we don't get uh, deceived by sin in our minds. Sometimes we need to talk to someone else to get help. And maybe you've talked to some people and it didn't really help. You were grateful for it, but it didn't really help. Try to find someone else who can help. One of my greatest mentors right now is a guy who lives in Atlanta who I kind of met randomly. He's a disciple. And he helps spiritually mentor me. And I'm so glad I found him. He helps me in my life. Number three, it says, come out of the dark and get into the light. In this scripture in Ephesians, it actually says, expose the deeds of darkness. It's my conviction that this means to people. When God knows our deeds, I think in order for us to get healing, in order for us to put to death sin, we need to get stuff out. Otherwise, Satan has a clutch on us because we feel ashamed and embarrassed about our secrets. And for me, it wasn't until I got blazingly in the light about stuff that I could have victory. There was a lot of time where I was kind of open about stuff, but not 100%. But when I started to just get all the secrets out and the embarrassment out, here's who I am, here's what I'm struggling with, that's when I started to have victory in my life. Because the clutches of Satan weren't on me anymore. And so the fourth one, or the, the third one is come out of the dark and get into the light. The fourth one is don't go near sin. 
Usually when we get into something, a fit of rage, or whatever it is from this list, filthy language, slander, usually there was a progression of how we got there. And you can think back, maybe if I could have cut it off way up here, I wouldn't have gotten to this point. And I, I think the scriptures speak to that. In Psalm 1, it talks about, blessed is the person who does not walk in wicked counsel, nor does he stand in the way with sinners, nor sit in the seat with mockers. And you see kind of a progression. First, you're kind of walking along near sin, and then you kind of stop and stand, and then you sit down and participate. We've got to cut it off. Don't go near it. That's, how he puts, that's one of the ways he puts sin to death. Yeah. And so the fifth one is to renew your mind, and that's a lot of what we already talked about by transcending our thoughts. But in Romans 12, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so I think these things have been helpful for me. I think the scriptures teach them. Beg God for help. Seek help from other people. Get out all of it into the light and confess it. Don't go near sin and renew your mind. I think these things help us to put sin to death. We don't want to settle for a lower conviction and tolerate sin. Maybe you've worked hard at it and there's been growth, but then you've plateaued. The conviction is to put it to death. And it's not to feel guilty about it, it's to be fired up about it. Let's move on. Well, this is the last part here. So the third point here is the life. Um, I don't think we're going to read all that, actually. Well, we can start. It says, um, if we continue on in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Quick note on compassion, that means to suffer with, to suffer with somebody. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, I want to stop there just for a second because I know this can happen. And I just want to encourage you to think about it. If there's anybody that you know in this room or in our church or whatever that maybe you have a grievance against, maybe it's little or big. Maybe it's you had a conversation with somebody that didn't sit right with you and you haven't really dealt with it. Maybe it was something that happened like a year ago and you feel like, oh, I want to bring that up. Here it talks about dealing with our grievances so there's nothing that stands between us. That's something to think about. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's stop there just for a second. There's kind of a progression, you know, through this chapter and building on other chapters. First, it was kind of like the theological, here's what God's done. And then it's like, set your minds here, then put this stuff to death, and then do this stuff. And that's what we're talking about now. It's like, here's, what, here's the good stuff to do. And that's what we're talking about. And it gets really practical, as we're going to see. And let's continue reading here in verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, this probably takes some transcendence. This takes some transcendence of thought to get yourself there. And I think, as I've studied this, this is not like UFC submission, right? Like forced submission. This is, this is like, take your strengths, your talents, your abilities, 
and support your husband and encourage him with it and follow his lead. This says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This takes some transcendence. Not because our wives are hard to love, but because it's hard to love, period. It's hard to think of other people's needs above your own. And this takes, this takes putting your thoughts on things above to be able to do. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. This takes some transcendence. Right? It says it pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only to win their and do and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I mean, this must have taken some transcendence. And I know that slavery in that day was probably a little bit different than what we think. It was more like kind of paying off, working off a debt, so to speak. The necessarily mean you were treated harshly, but even so, it takes transcendence to do it with sincerity. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be, be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. You know, we're, this is just expository preaching, so we're reading through the whole passage, and I just want to make a point, because this is how it ends with this verse 25, but the, it actually, it's kind of an incomplete thought, because the next chapter starts with masters, here's how you should treat, you know, your servants. And I think this line is, at the end here, anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs, I think is to encourage, it was to encourage the people who are in a subordinate position, to, to say, hey, if you're mistreated by the person over you, know that they'll be put, there's no favoritism because they're in a position of power right now, right? God's going to judge justly. And I think that's kind of what it's speaking to. Um, but just to kind of sum up, I know there's a, that was a lot of practical stuff and the scriptures just kind of lay it out there. But I just kind of want to sum up here. You know, it talks about all the things that God's done for us. Set you know, set up a process for us to be reconciled to him. And because of that, let's not have our vision just be what's on here in front of us. Let's, let's lift our hearts and our minds and set it on things above. And let's put to death all this stuff that just destroys. And instead, let's do all these good things and be compassionate and kind and gracious and forgive. And, and we want to live this way because we know that just like a caterpillar who literally lives on like one tree has this great future glory. Just as they have this great future glory of being a butterfly, we look forward to a future glory. It says we participate in the glory of Jesus, which is incredible. Yeah. And that's the motivation to do it. Um, praise God. Uh, that concludes the thought here. Amen. I want to say a brief prayer, and then we'll, we'll have a song. <clears throat> so I'll pray with me. Dear God in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much just to be able to get into Colossians 3. And... Um, just for how encouraging it is, God, and how it gets so real and practical. Um, but also, it spurs us on, God, to, to get our thoughts raised up. And we pray for your help to do that, Lord, and we give thanks, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.